point answered tacitly. Uh, that was really beautiful. You know what's amazing? Like, Christian and I never, ever, ever, ever plan. I think we did once. There was that one time, that one time at band camp, there was that one time we actually planned the songs, but we don't ever. And the songs just seem to, tonight it just fits so beautifully, it's like crazy. You know that the Shrek song? <laughs> what the Shrek song is about? Um, it's about broken hallelujahs. I love that. Huh? People in their complete brokenness and sinful state can still manage to get out a broken hallelujah. And that that's enough. And that's quite cool. So, um, Jesus Reikner. So, um, this is the last Sunday. We're talking about smell and Jesus smelling of certain stuff. And uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the book, so I hope you like it. So when I asked on my uh, Facebook page, I asked when I was writing the book, what do you think Jesus smells like? And one of our friends, Fraser, went, Jesus smells like a... Excuse me, done. A, a, a new MacBook Pro. <laughs> and he was like, and uh, obviously everybody laughed, and there was lots of LOLs and uh, stuff happening. And but apparently, in the, I don't know, I don't have a MacBook. Um, nice, nice wink, wink. But. Um, Apparently it does smell like there's like a very specific smell. So much so that one company had now released a candle <laughs> that smells like a new Mac. And uh, it's interesting how we like new stuff. Like uh, I, we all like new stuff, right? Getting new running shoes is great. Or getting a new car is like probably the best feeling in the world. <laughs> and the new car smell. I have to confess that I have bought a car for the smell. <laughs> right, but I could have bought, it, I could have gone a second-hand one, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend that extra thirty thousand rand because I want that smell. <laughs> it's probably like the most expensive perfume in the world because once you hit the road outside the dealership, it's gone, and uh, that smell only lasts for like twelve weeks or so. The lovely smell of rubber and glue, and I have no idea. Maybe Dinda can tell us they spray something inside the car. To, um, and, and apparently that smell, that smell, that new car smell, it's actually poisonous. Like it's not good for you. <laughs> so, uh, but we love new stuff. Like we all love new stuff. We love new phones. Getting a new phone is like it's the best thing. And peeling off the sacred moment, that holy moment when you peel off like little plastic. Like because you only get one go at it once every two years. Like you can off like the new and it's like so no, no scratches no nothing and it's brand new and um, obviously with all the rain falling there's this, the chapter is actually called Jesus smells of wet soil like wet earth and that's one of the best smells with all the rain like the smell of rain where you can it's coming but it's actually like the earth that you're smelling and all the dust and the mud and everything and it's like this it has this promise of new life which is awesome and um, 
it's beautiful for me that in Genesis, everything that you want to know about God, that you need to know about God is in Genesis. Like we've said this like a zillion times, if I said this a zillion times, like if you just read Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, everything that you need to know about God is like packed in there. And God in the opening scene in Genesis 2, which is actually an older narrative than Genesis 1, so that's a long story, but it's an older narrative than Genesis 1. So Genesis 2 is the, um, I can't remember the English word, like it's for the people, agrarian, people that till the earth, farmers, it's their creation narrative. Because the God that is described in the Genesis 2 narrative is a God that is a gardener. Like he plays in the mud. He's not this, in Genesis 1, God is this almost distant being that speaks and everything magically appears. But in Genesis 2, God's, God gets his hands dirty and he's like in the mud. So the word in um, Hebrew is yoser. It means, it means creator. And it also means potabakar. Uh, that's it in Africa, anything else? Cl- pots maker? <laughs> Pot baker? Potter. Potter, yeah. Like a potter. Potter, yeah. Makes potter. Mud. So God works with mud. And uh, what's awesome when we were at Lens, also he talks about God. He takes the word Adam means mud person, mud man. And uh, God actually takes dirt and water and mixes it and mixes it and makes this mud man and then breathes into this mud man to make something beautiful. So we have this image of God the gardener. And what's beautiful in Genesis 2, if you want to know who God is, God is a, firstly the creator. And it's something like the creator image of God is something that, we, that we've lost in Western kind of thinking and Western theology. We tend to think of God mostly as the judge or God as the Savior, or God as omnipresent and all-knowing. And we, not, we don't really think of God as the Creator. I think it's got a lot to do with our love of science and evolution and all of that. But God is first and foremost the Creator in Jewish spirituality and Jewish thought and in the whole narrative. So in Genesis 2, you see this God as Creator, and the way that He creates is fascinating. Like, He creates in super abundance. Like, He just makes more and more and more and the God in Genesis 2 takes care of the people like he gives he lets he creates the earth and the soil and the plants and he waters everything so it's the perfect God for a farmer the God that is described in Genesis 2 and he creates trees with seed bearing fruit in Genesis 1 and he creates animals that can um, procreate and make more and more and more and there's just this image of growth and abundance and abundance and more and more and more and more and um, we have in our we live close to Loftus and we have these trees Platanbome no idea what that is in English like these big trees and they carry these little seeds that uh, they look like little balls and when if you step on them they break into like these thousands of little hairs so if you were in high school, often people would take them and like throw them in the back of your shirt or something. At least that happened to me. <laughs> so, yuck um, balikis. Did you know what it is? And every single ball has got like thousands of seeds. So every time I see one, and every time I like, when you step on them, they kind of burst open. And every time I see one, I just think, this is so extravagant. 
one tree has got like thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds and thousands of seeds. It's like God does everything in his power to take care of this tree so that this tree and this species or whatever like survives. It's just a completely excessive. And what's so, what's so great about Jesus as well, if you read Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, wherever Jesus goes, abundance follows. Like he says, I give you life and I give you life in abundance, like overflowing life, like too much life, Zoe life, meaning the good life. And um, when Jesus does a miracle in, in John with the fish and the bread, there's like leftovers. So Jesus is almost like the God of leftovers, like there's too much. There's always like excess, 12, 12, 12 monkeys fall. There's one of, <laughs> I used to work at this church a, a couple of years ago. And there was a guy that was working there. I didn't appoint him. But he always, it's very important to say, I didn't appoint him. He always got his Bible stories mixed up. And he said something like, the, <laughs> the visit for you not uitgespoog 12 monkeys full. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Or he'll say something like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, right? But it like, works better in Afrikaans, a joke. So like he says, um, Jy is ook soos die barremartige Samaritaan. Sy was a baie nice vrou. Is this wat? Anyway, so I don't know how he got appointed in a job at the church, but he did. So, um, Jesus makes in excess. And in John, in his opening miracle, or the first miracle, he makes wine, and he uses the Jewish, uh, the um, containers, klipkanne, stone jars, that each contains like 100 liters of water. And he uses those, and there's six of them, and he makes 600 liters of wine. Like, it's absolute, it's like ridiculous amount of wine. It's having, like, I always, when I do a sermon at a wedding, I always tell the same story. And it's like having 800 bottles of wine at your wedding. Okay, that's a big party. That is quite a lot of wine. It's like everybody at the wedding getting you, like, your 12 bottles when you come in the door, going, here you go, have fun. And Like, it's just excess everywhere. And um, what, what is my, often my, my struggle, personal kind of struggle with Christianity is like people tend to make it really small when the whole narrative is really big and excessive and huge and it's just so absolutely all-inclusive and people make it about just one thing. And um, during the week I was having, I actually posted it on Facebook too, like I was having coffee with a friend and he's a... Uh, kind of Buddhist slash slash some other stuff and uh, he told me well the goal of the goal of Zen Buddhism is to be 100% present all the time and to be your f- completely fully yourself all the time right to experience life firsthand was and then I thought what is the goal of Christianity like what do you think wh- like why do you follow Jesus like what is the what is the why and uh, it's actually a question that I couldn't answer immediately. I was like, I, I, I didn't really go and sit and think about it. And then you go, to get into heaven. And, you go, and then I go, no, 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 that's cheesy. And then I go, no, wait a minute, that's, that's kind of true. That, but what does that mean? Like, what does heaven mean? And what it, it's following Jesus to be saved. Go, okay, so be saved from what? Or to be saved in order to something else. And there's a lot more going on there. So this chapter and this thing is really about what is the goal like what is the end game and um, there's a lovely saying that I really like it says 
God doesn't save souls, God saves holes. And uh, I get, I, it's a little pet peeve of mine when people have go out to win souls. And I'm like, I understand what you mean, but I, it's more than that. It's bigger. Like the goal of Christianity is bi- bigger than just saving your soul so you can go to heaven one day when you die. It's much bigger than that. When we see God creating in the beginning, you see, <coughs> you see God creating like a physical creation, right? So this is something that I've said many, many times, but it's something that frames my spirituality 100%. It's like the, absol- the absolute know, visceral nature, like the, the tactileness of God. That God is not something like that, that is other than us, that is on a different plane or a different space, but something that is here and now and physical. So Jesus, the whole point of the book and everything was that Jesus was a human being. And Jesus still is a human being. And somehow we think that when Jesus ro- went to heaven, that he became not a human being anymore, that he became spiritual, or that being spiritual is a good thing, meaning non-material. But when you see God creating in Genesis, everything you need to even know about God is in Genesis. He creates a physical reality, and he says that it was good, right? In fact, very good. Like he says it like six or seven times. He goes, and it was good, and it was good, and he saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And for some reason, somewhere along the line, we decided that physical means bad and spiritual, non-material, means good. And we have this thinking, this language that you say that I have this, that this is like a meat suit and that one day I'm going to escape this meat suit and go to heaven. And that's the goal, right? And it sounds really beautiful and it's really unbiblical. It's like saying, we are, and it sounds so beautiful, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And they go, that sounds beautiful, but it's complete heresy. (laughs) Like it's not the Christian narrative at all, at all. Like it's saying that God made this whole physical earth and then, oh, went, oh crap, that was a really bad idea. Let me just like, we're not going to do that anymore. Like we're just going to get everybody out of their meat suits and get them up into heaven and then we're going to have like our little party up there. And that's not the story of Scripture at all. Like it's, the story of Scripture is a physical, tactile, real, flesh and blood story. Right? And when God made man, he didn't make a mistake when he made a physical universe. Like if you, the, the importance of a physical resurrection is like, it's the baseline for our whole faith that we have a physical resurrection, that it wasn't a, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead as a spirit or as a ghost, that Jesus rose from the dead as a physical man, upgraded, right, but physical. Like one of the most important texts is that Jesus, Jesus' bride, right, after this where he made fish, made fish, on the beach for his friends after the resurrection. And we kind of read that and we go, oh, that's nice. That is like a super important text because the writer is telling you that Jesus rose physically from the dead, that he is not a ghost. Because in Jewish thought, ghosts don't eat. 
right? But Jesus eats more than once after his resurrection. He breaks bread, Luke 24. Like he eats with his friends. They give him food and he eats with them. He buys fish for them. Like it's super important. And then you have the whole scene with Thomas sticking his finger in Jesus' side and in the wounds. You can't touch a ghost. And that's really important. Physical uh, resurrection is super, super important. Because God is saving a physical universe, the whole thing. Not just the sole little part of it, but the whole thing. Like every single thing is included. And every single thing will be made new. All of creation. And uh, if we don't have a physical resurrection, then what, like if you kind of reverse engineer it, then what does the crucifixion mean if it wasn't physical? If Jesus, was, if Jesus wasn't really here, like it only, there's a, a line of thought was also declared a heresy, saying that Jesus was, he only appeared to be human. He wasn't really, really human. He only appeared to be human. But then, how, what, is, what does his sacrifice then mean? If he wasn't a physical man, if he didn't physically die, and if he didn't, he didn't physically rise from the dead. Even Paul, Paul says, like, if <coughs> Jesus didn't, didn't rise from the dead, we are, everything is lost and we are still in our sin and there's no hope and it's over. It is the absolute center of our faith is that it is physical. Right? And resurrection, resurrection is something that resonates so deeply with me and I think that's why the story is something that I just cannot get rid of. Like, I just keep on returning to it because resurrection is something that you see all the time, everywhere. Like you see it when the sun sets and when it rises again. You see it when winter ends and summer comes. You see it when you put a seed in the ground and the plant comes up. You see it when you eat food, when you eat a dead animal and it gives you strength to do your work. You see it everywhere. And it's like it echoes throughout the universe all the time. And it's almost like, how else could it have happened? This is the way the universe is put together. This is the building blocks of the whole thing. And if God wanted to save this whole thing, the only way that he could do that was by doing death and resurrection. So the meaning of the resurrection is often, also often so misunderstood. It's, it doesn't mean that Jesus was God. The resurrection means that what Jesus said was true. Right? That he is the Messiah. So last week we, uh, we said that there's one thing that a Messiah cannot be and that is dead. Right? A dead Messiah is no Messiah. So the, in Luke 24, the people on their way to Emmaus said, we thought that he was the one, but they crucified him, so now we're going home. Right? Because a dead Messiah is no Messiah at all. So Jesus' resurrection firstly proves that he is the Messiah, that what he said is true. And what was Jesus like, almost like his, let's go there, campaign slogan. <laughs> right? Let's make earth great again. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's terrible. Um, what was Jesus' slogan? Well, he, said, he said it all the time. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here. Right? The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is around you. It is inside you. It is here. It is now. Right? He was announcing the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven means it is God's rule. It is God's recreation of, every, of everything. And it was something that good Jewish people were waiting for. That was going to happen one day. And what the resurrection proves is that the kingdom of heaven is really here. 
It is really now. So if we go back to what is the goal of following Jesus, it is heaven. But heaven here and now. And that's what the resurrection means. Going that the new started within the old. It's like a, a flower taking root on a garbage dump. Going right here, right now. It's there. And that's an incredible story to be a part of. That is so massive and huge and much bigger than just me going to heaven, God saving my soul, and I'm going to heaven when I die and escaping this ugly meat suit. It's more than that, and it's bigger than that. And that's what's so great about it. Um, <clears throat> one theologian said, do you believe in the resurrection? And he says, I see it too often not to. And there was a preacher, I think it was Rob Bell, if I remember correctly, in one of his sermons, he went, you think your marriage is failing? I believe in the resurrection. Like, you think you have financial problems? I believe in the resurrection. You think that you suffer from this and this? I believe in the resurrection. You think that all your relationships are falling apart? I believe in the resurrection. You believe that there's no hope for our country? I believe in the resurrection. And it just kept going on and on and on. Because that's what we believe. Is that we believe in the resurrection. We don't believe we're going to go to heaven one day when we die. We believe that the whole earth the whole creation from the smallest sea to the biggest planets and everything will be remade and that has already started and that's damn exciting and that's damn cool and then you go okay but so what so what now and never I still never like kill them because like Santa Claus sends them to see if you're good and then like <laughs> didn't anybody else's parents tell him that lie like those little orange ones Santa Claus sends him throughout the year to see if you're good so you don't kill him. They go back and they tell him. Anyway. <laughs> so what? So, so, so what? Jesus rose from the dead. So what are we supposed to do now? Sit around and wait until we all go to heaven? Right? Somebody, I can't remember who phrased it like I said, Jesus rose from the dead, there's work to do. Going, every single thing is included. So going, there's a new kingdom here and now. It's being birthed and it's cracking open. It cracked open the day Jesus rose from the grave. And each and every one of us, if we are part of this kingdom, the goal for us is to make things new. Like wherever you are, to make things whole, to repair things, to make them beautiful, to clean them up. Like there's a story, I think I posted it a while back as well, where a guy was uh, paid to paint a boat. All right? And he painted this guy's boat. And when he was painting the boat, he saw that there was a big hole in the boat. And he went, oh, well, you know, let me just repair the hole. And he repaired the hole. And then the next day when the guy was supposed to pay him, he came to him and gave him like three, four, five times the amount that he was supposed to give him. And then he said, but this is too much. Why did you do this? He goes, no, I, knew, I saw that you repaired the hole. He goes, well, you don't need to pay me extra. It was just a little job. We patched the hole up. And he said, no, you don't understand. My kids came home from school that day and saw the boat was painted and took it out and I wasn't at home yet and I know when I came home I saw them coming back in with the boat and my heart nearly stopped because I knew the boat had a hole in it and the kids didn't know about it so if you didn't repair the hole the kids would have drowned or and he and whoever wrote the story just drew the 
the similar going, that's what Christians are supposed to be doing. We should be going around repairing holes all the time because you never know. And you should always be picking up garbage and making it beautiful. Not because you feel guilty, because you're social con- conscious, because we are part of the resurrection. Because that is what we are supposed to be doing. Going, if you are a teacher, you need to be the best teacher that you can be because that's part of the resurrection. It doesn't mean like scribbling little verses of text like in the kids' books at the back so they secretly like get saved. It means like teaching them as well as you can. Right? And whatever you, if you're an athlete or if you're an architect or a CA or whatever, it means doing your job as well as you can do it. Because that is part of the resurrection. And that's damn exciting. It's much better than going out and winning souls. Right? It's much more than that. Like, that's not bad. Don't, like, misunderstand me. But it's not bad. But it's more. It's bigger. God is a God of abundance and creates, like, all these massive and thousands and thousands of seeds. And now we're making it really, really small and tiny. And that's what excites me. Peter Rollins, he's an Irish uh, philosopher and theologian. He said he denies the resurrection all the time. Like, he denies the resurrection every single time he supports oppression. He denies the resurrection every single time he does not repay what is broken. Every single time he does not help the whole world moving forward, he denies the resurrection. And then when I ask you, like, do you believe in the resurrection? Like, you have to, it's almost like you have to show it. You have to go, yes, I do. Look what I made. Look what I made. Like, look what we made new and we made whole. Going, yes, I do believe in the resurrection. (coughs) I think that's it. I want to just read you a part of it. Sorry, it's in Afrikaans, but um, I'm going to read you like the ending of that little chapter. It says, Hoes mens deel van die opstanding. Krap jy in die geheim tekst verse uit op mens, sy karre, sy onderstelle as jy mechanic is. Ek is een rudie sê, wat sê? <laughs> tekstversies onder in op die as ja op die leersie dit skryf jy John, John 3.16 get saved sê, plak jy plakkers op jy kantoorvenster koop jy bilboards uit, jy kan seker toch om deel te wees van die opstanding is om volkome mens te wees soos Jesus was een mens dat saam met mense loop wat baie gebroken is en stikkendes is een mens te wees, wat sal met ander eet, wat vreegde deel waar jy gaan, wat vrygevig is, wat vrede bring, eder as strui, wat die ander wang draai, wat vergewe, wat op hulle knie ander dien, en dan ook gereed is om te vertel, as mense vraag oor die hoop in hulle, hier die hoop van een nieuwe wereld, wat reeds begin het. Ek het die opstanding nodig, elke dag, elke keer as ek iemand seer maak, elke keer as ek droog maak, Elke keer as ek nie myself is nie, elke keer as ek voorgee, as ek feik is, elke keer as ek selfsichtig is, elke keer asof ek maak, asof ek weet. Ek het nodig dat die gees in my my herinner dat ek reeds niet is, dat ek Jesus sin is. In ons wereld het die opstanding nodig, nie een hard longe machine nie, maar een nieuwe lichaam. In ons is die begin van daar die lichaam, hier en nou, en ons het werk om te doen. Kom ons bid saam. Dankie Heere Jesus, vir hierdie opwindende nies. Heere, dankie dat die hele wereld reik soos nat grond wat omgedolde is en rechter.
sade om geplant te word en vir een nieuwe skepping om te begin, wat al rees begin het. Heere, vergewe ons wanneer ons die resurrection deny. Forgive us when we when we do not follow you. Forgive us when we make your story small. Forgive us when we miss the mark. Help us to see resurrection. Help us to be a part of resurrection. May your spirit live within us and resurrect in us the will to recreate and to repair and to make new and to make beautiful. Thank you that you love us and that you guide us. Thank you for your wisdom to live well and to live in abundance. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you guys. Questions, comments? Right, good. So that is that for the Jesus Smells of Little series that we did. And uh, there's like 